Money FM 89.3, best of the evening runway. China Perspective. Money FM 89.3. It's Ali Dank and Timothy Go now turning our attention to headlines coming out of China. And of course, Evergrande is some of that list. Well, it's being ordered to liquidate by a court in Hong Kong to tighten China's financial industry rules as well. Let's uh, hear more about this. Dr. O.A. Sun, Senior Fellow, Singapore Institute of International Affairs, is our guest. Dr. O, good afternoon. How are you? Good afternoon to all of you. I'm speaking to you from Kuala Lumpur today. Yeah, I know you're doing something very important right now. Students hopefully don't listen. <laughs> Dr. Oh, <laughs> let's talk about Chad Evergrande. This has taken quite a while. Couldn't this have ended sooner? Is it even the end of this saga for that matter? Well, it's basically, as we said, too big to fail, right? And there were fears that uh, it would cause uh, so-called systemic rumblings on the whole, not only property market, mm. but perhaps even financial markets. Because I think the the amount of debt that it has it's uh, something like three hundred sixty something billion US dollars. So well, there were these fears, and but finally, I think after many many rounds. Of trying to revive it, I think finally a lot of these debtees uh, they gave up, and uh, so they asked for liquidation here. So, what does a liquidation of Evergrande really mean for China, and what kind of implications will it have for the rest of the world? Well, we don't quite know yet at this point whether how this uh, particular judgment from Hong Kong is going to be carried out in China. I think for Evergrande's overseas assets, uh, its holdings and so on, it would be, uh, well, so-called liquidated, namely to pay off the debt key first and then, you know, whatever is left over, if there's anything left over to uh, all the shareholders, I don't think there'll be anything left over. I don't even think the debt keys will be fully paid. Mm. As to its assets in China... I think people are still uh, still trying to figure out whether this particular judgment, how it would be uh, so-called uh, enforced in China. Yeah, let's be calculated, businessmen, about this, uh, Doctor O. Mm-hmm. You mentioned mm-hmm. it's too big to fail. We've we've talked about you know all the debtees getting paid back and everything, and now we are here with Evergrande set to be liquidated. So if we were to look on the one hand, the possibility that trying to revive Evergrande could hurt the Chinese economy, or do we cut our losses? liquidate does this hurt the chinese economy still or will people suddenly have more confidence in it well it would depend on how this is carried out if for example some of it sort of unfinished projects and so on they were to be picked up by uh, other developers and so on they would be reassuring however if it is uh, really like you know chopping it up and see what portion you and i get and so on that uh, <laughs> of course uh, would, yeah will be not so reassuring right so so we are, we are still trying to figure out how this would actually be done in China because something of this scale I don't think has ever happened in China before. Yeah, yeah. Do you think the Chinese economy regulators and all that have learned anything from this episode? Well, because a lot of these loans they were taken out by uh, Evergrande, they are from this, uh, for, for example, local banks, local savings and loans association. And supposedly the Chinese banking regulators are supposed to tighten a little bit uh, as to you know all the conditions for taking out loans and so on. 
But as we are probably going to discuss next, that doesn't seem to be the case here. All right, uh, we're on the line right now with Dr. O.A. Sun, Senior Fellow, Singapore Institute of International Affairs, China tightening its uh, financial industry rules. Ooh, I mean, they're really hoping that, you know, this doesn't make the economy any worse. Uh, Doctor, what are your thoughts on this plan that they have and and whether it's the best thing to implement forceful measures to, to stabilize share prices? What are your thoughts on this? Well, uh, you have seen China's share prices declining over the past few years. And, uh, of course, the government felt like, it, it, I mean, just like any government would feel that uh, in order to have a more vibrant stock market, that would be a precursor for uh, an economy which is being revived. But, of course, uh, in China, because everything is very much government mandated and and therefore this sort of encouraging state enterprises to yeah. be more active in the stock markets and so on let's see how to what extent they will restore market confidence here will this create a fairer market order oh well i'm not sure because in in china of course a lot of this Share market uh, movements, ups and downs. It's not for the small players, right? It's for the bigger players and so on. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I think we have to w- wait and see a while before we see the effect here. Yeah. yeah, I think ultimately we're just observing to see whether this six uh-huh. trillion dollar stock wipeout exposes the deeper yeah. problems, or can they not, as you mentioned early on, reignite that confidence? And it is a big task that uh, President Xi Jinping has elsewhere on his docket includes. Uh, France and China marking 60 years of diplomatic ties. Uh, Dr. O, tell us a little bit about the relationship between China and France and how this has evolved over the years. Of course, uh, Emmanuel Macron has made a high-profile visit to India recently, you know, which coincide with the 60th anniversary of relations between China and France. Well, France it, well, was the first uh, major Western country to recognize the People's Republic of China was well, 60 years uh, ago. And China remembers that uh, and is appreciative of that. Over the years, of course, the relationship has seen its ups and downs, but mainly ups because, well, there is a huge trade volume between China and France. And France, I think, is very eager to sell both its agricultural products as well as its high-tech goods to China. And therefore, the relationship between the two, you could see, for example, last year when the president of France was visiting China, he was treated to uh, uh, like a grand tour of uh, Guangdong and so on, accompanied by none other than President Xi Jinping himself. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I think China is appreciative of France's uh, gesture. I mean, what can both countries offer each other in terms of, well, you you, you mentioned the products, but what else can they offer in, in exchange? Well, this sort of cultural exchange has been been going on uh, as well. You saw the various uh, French uh, cultural products being marketed to uh, China, including the learning of the French language and mm. uh, so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you go a bit further as to, for example, strategic cooperation, mm-hmm. uh, then it gets a bit more subtle. France, for example, even though it's a U.S. ally, but sometimes they could be a bit, shall we say, disobedient. Right. And when they do so, <laughs> sometimes they would deliberately, I wouldn't say team up, but getting closer to China just to uh, 
make the U.S. unhappy a little bit. <laughs> it, 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 is President Macron strategically doing this just as a leverage, or does he really mean to you uh, know, I, I uncouple don't with I, the West and you know really be more independent when it comes to their own foreign policy? Well, the successive French presidents they always try to uh, have more sort of sort of independent postures from the U.S., but uh, I think still they are firmly grounded mm-hmm. in the so say Western sphere of uh, influence here. Yeah. I want to say revolution. Nah, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Dr. Oh, uh, trying to stop diplomat uh, Wang Yi and U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan met in Bangkok over the weekend. Uh, any chance you have any ideas of the details of the talks? And I think more importantly, is this taking a step in the right direction? Well, it is a step in the right direction in the sense that both sides, both sides, they emphasize that uh, it is important to have sort of regular dialogues and then to build on the C Biden summit in San Francisco uh, late last year. And then, but then the kind of sort of future joint ventures that mm. they talk about, all this artificial intelligence, anti-narcotics and so on, I'm sure they are very important, but you don't see the kind of really comprehensive sort of collaboration between the U.S. and China as we witnessed, let's say, 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, of course, there's still the issue of uh, Taiwan that's going to be central to elections. Um, <laughs> I mean, these two countries seem to have important things to focus on, your thoughts, and I know this is a bit speculative, your thoughts on uh, how big an issue Taiwan will be playing up for the rest of the year uh, when it comes to high-level talks between the two countries, US and China. Well, it depends on the new Taiwanese administration. The future president Lai were to live up to his uh, commitment of so-called maintaining a status quo, perhaps the atmosphere would not be so heated up yeah. But then again, from the China side, I think uh, maintaining status quo is not enough. China would like to see proactive, shall we say, desire for reunification <laughs> from the Taiwanese side. But that, of course, is not forthcoming. So a lot depends on the interplay between lies attitude as well as these postures here. Dr. O, I'd like to get your opinion on this because we all know what the status quo would be like. As, but as you mentioned, China is not going to be satisfied with just the status quo. What do you think they will be looking for? Or what kind of things would they expect? You know, a lot of this, uh, it would boil down to uh, the character of the leaders. Yeah. If Lai were to, for example, propose for a meeting with Xi and so on, uh, well, China would have to sort of at least respond in kind, right? Mm. And then China would list down what are some of the conditions, and then the Lai side would say, perhaps, uh, no, we can't meet these conditions, but we can meet uh, other uh, lesser conditions and so on. So there would be some sort of, shall we say, virtual dialogue between the okay. two. Okay. Right now, there's totally no dialogue, and yeah. that is the, the problem here. Yeah, yeah. Well, important to see how uh, the two sides continue to set up high-level diplomacy between mm-hmm. uh, the U.S. and China as well. We have been speaking with Dr. O. A. Sun, Senior Fellow, Singapore Institute of International Affairs. Dr. O, as always, we do appreciate your time. Take care and have a great day ahead. Well, thank you very much indeed. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg. Or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Audio at the App Store and Google Play.